Our guest is a child development expert that translates research into practical parenting skills. Stay tuned after these messages from our sponsor. Welcome to Prime Video's Culture Rated Collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. As always, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. That enables us to do what we love doing, and that is bring you this podcast. Kids are headed back to school, and no matter where you live on the planet, school homework, getting organized, getting out the door in the morning, all these things can prove daunting and they don't have to be. Amy McCready of Positive Parenting Solutions has created a program just for you. It is called Sir Thrival, the back to school training that you need to turn responsibility over to your kids and the homework hassles. Go to boysalive.com school to save on this unique program from Positive Parenting Solutions. That is boysalive.com school. And this is an affiliate link, so we make a tiny little bit off of that. And again, that helps us bring you this podcast. Welcome to On Boys. Social learning, emotional learning, academic learning. There are so many areas we're told to pay attention to when raising kids that it kind of boggles our minds. Add in, you know, how do we help our boys with their emotional vocabulary? And we get to wondering how do we do it all? Our guest today, her breadth and depth of experience is going to answer some of those questions. When I read her bio, I got very excited and very intrigued because I know she's going to have some gems to share with us. And true, I do wonder how she does it all. She's a mom child development expert, parent educator, children's book author. She's taught elementary through high school and been a school administrator. She's a columnist for PBS Kids and writes for MindShift, an NPR learning blog. Oh, and she's also the founder of Parenthood 365. Deborah Farmer-Chris, welcome and wow. Thank you. Well, they all kind of fold in on each other, which is the good right. thing. And they're all kind of around helping me do my own work better. So, you know, yeah. 
one yes. of the best parts of being a like a you know a, um, an education journalist is anytime that I had a question I could like call up and say hi I'm writing an article for you know PBS kids and people want to talk to you and so it's a lot of double dipping in that way uh, Jen and I I'm totally very, get it <laughs> I very quickly did the same thing it's not a coincidence that my writing career is right around the same questions that I had to answer anyway as a parent it makes yeah. it authentic doesn't it <laughs> And so Lord the, knows those those children provide plenty of fodder and questions and you think you know something and you run into another wall, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, well, with all those credentials, are you raising perfect kids, Deborah? Oh gosh, heavens no, right? I mean, <laughs> I always laugh like sometimes when I see kind of like, you know, people are trying to do kind of the Instagram perfect parenting, right? Because, you know, None of us are slot machines. It's not like you, you put in, like <laughs> you put in, you know, this language and out pops a child who says, yes, mother, but neither do I like want my kids to be obedient perfectly all the time. Right. I'm trying to raise them to thrive, to be authentic individuals who are separate from me. And so mm -hmm. there's going to be all these kind of rubbing up against each other. Um, and so, I mean, I think from the best parts of parenting is like, it's a big self-improvement exercise. It's really humbling. Oh, and yeah. I, I love it. I love this work. I love child development because it's like constantly intellectually stimulating because I feel like there's always something to learn. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was in a preschool yesterday reading my books to 40 kids and I'm looking out going, there are 40 really unique people sitting in front of me. And there's not one method that's going to work for every single child, which is why like the brilliance of, of teachers trying to like meet the needs of so many different mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, you know, the, the point is not perfection because there's no such thing. The point I, I always use like the points thriving the best we can yeah. to like help them thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And to show up in the best way that we can. And, yeah. and to say that you're raising a 10 year old daughter and an eight year old boy. So you've got that mix of boy and girl and I oh do. my goodness, they're kind of introvert different. and extrovert too. So oh, I, like, hey. I can play with that as well. <laughs> which is, which is, which at this, well, I'm going to say at this point, but those are pretty stable characteristics. They're, oh, they've been too. stable since age four months when I first identified uh, my daughter is an introvert classically and she knows it. It's awesome. Um, we were just at a family union where we're all in one big house, the entire extended family and her little cousins who love her running after her. And she escaped with the book and said, it's like, they've never heard the word introvert before mom. <laughs> you know, she's like, I love them, but I also need my space. And then, you know, I have a, a little boy who's never met a stranger, you know, who just, so he probably thrived in that oh, multi-generation full so house. So sad to leave. Right. And one was like, this was great. See you later. And I was like, no, I don't want to no, go. I want to live with all my family all the time. I want it to be loud. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really curious as a former teacher, I'm curious to dive into your education arena and Jen and I talk a lot on this podcast about boys in school and how parents need to be advocates for their boys in this system that often doesn't fit our boys. And truly, it feels like moving a boulder uphill to affect change in schools. What are your thoughts around that? I think that for boys and school, one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is actually having more attention paid to emotional literacy. Because I think that so much of boys acting out is 
often some basic needs like to move, right. To move your body Mm -hmm. to, you know, biological needs, but also when I taught elementary and middle school, um, some of my favorite students. And so my classes were often stacked with them were the more problematic high energy boys. And I loved working with these boys. Um, and I liked working with the boys who had reputations of being angry or cranky or a little defiant because I found them fabulous puzzles. I was young. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of energy. Um, maybe my own growing up with a couple of brothers who mm-hmm. were also had were big puzzles like that because I never saw the anger as the end point. It was never, oh my gosh, this is an angry boy. Anger was a starting point. Like that's your tip of the iceberg emotion. Long before I really did all my deep diving into emotional literacy, which I've been doing the last 10 years, I found myself so curious about why are they showing up this way, right? Is there something happening at home that they're showing up this way? Does something happen on the bus that they're showing up this way? Does something happen in that small group? They just exploded. What was that trigger? And so often with boys, especially because I think anger is one of those emotions that is culturally allowable mm-hmm. um, in a way that sometimes sadness or fear or confusion, Are they not. might feel like it's not socially acceptable, but anger often is, even though we then often punish their anger. It's this weird two thing, right? You're allowed to be angry, but then you're not allowed to be angry. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it's socially acceptable, but then we kind of punish it in school or we punish it in our homes. And so, you know, if you dug just beneath it, there was so often loneliness or confusion or hunger or sadness or so many other things below the surface there. And that like, once you could name it and once you could help the kid name it, it diffused it. And I saw this over and over again when kids were, when I was an administrator for a couple of years and these boys would be sent to my office. There was a boy at one point who was sent at basically if he was sent to my office, it was always about 10 a.m., like once a week. And it was a rotating schedule, often different teachers. And, um, and I realized at some point he was hungry. He's hungry. He wasn't getting breakfast at home, right? And it's, he didn't qualify for free lunch, but it was a chaotic household. And I knew that. And so I just started giving, he'd come, I'd give him a banana or a granola bar and let him hang out for a few minutes and send him back to class. And he didn't need a lecture. He just needed to be fed. And like, those were the moments that I think really began to propel me toward more of an exploration into emotional literacy, because it seemed like there were all these really great, great kids and these great boys who wanted to make great choices. And often the emotions were interfering and they couldn't even, we weren't giving them the language they didn't have the language to express what was really going on inside. I like that you shared um, your first appreciation and recognition that there's something else going on here. And so so instead of reacting right away to the anger, to the behavior, you got curious. And we know, you know, so many people get stuck at that point because of stuff that's happened in their own lives. You know, Mm. a lot of people perceive male anger, male acting out is very threatening, even if it's coming from a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, mm-hmm. a 12-year-old boy. Some 12-year-olds are you know, nearly full grown already. So step one, I think so often for parents, for teachers is like reminding yourself, breathe, just yeah. deal with my first reaction, breathe. But then what? As a teacher, even as a parent, it's one thing to know intellectually, there's more to this. There's something under this but forging that relationship in Mm -hmm. such a way that you have some trust that you can go a little deeper can be a challenge. 
it can, and it takes time. And it's, again, it's, there's no slot machine response to this of putting one thing and the other comes out, but there is some language and some approaches that I found helpful through the years. First is in the heat of the moment, you know, that's when kind of the, uh, your prefrontal cortex is a little bit offline. Like if, if, if I'm just, if my son has just exploded because I told him he could not watch one more episode of Survivor two nights ago, which really happened in our house, he actually needs a few deep breaths. He needs to settle himself because if I start to do, if I start yeah. to apply logic to this moment, there's no, even if it's, he could hear me later and he did. And the next day we talked through a, the whole situation in the moment, he can't hear it. Like the best thing I can do is to help him bring, bring it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, you might say, Oh, it, like, it looks like he likes to push my buttons or it looks like he likes to be angry. If you really probe it, they don't like feeling this way. It's not a comfortable thing. They're looking for help with it. And so very often I just, I fall back on the phrase, I noticed, right? I so noticed. maybe after the fact, and because it's, I noticed takes the judgment out of it. It's not you did. It's like, you know, I noticed that you seem kind of upset with your group in math. Um, you know, is everything working out? Okay. Or like, I noticed when you came in earlier, you know, you really threw your stuff in the cubby and I just wanted to check in. I noticed, like I noticed the behavior and then just hear if there's anything else that comes out. And even if nothing does then as parents or as teachers, they know we're seeing them. And that I feel mm. is so powerful for relationship building. Yeah. We're giving them an opportunity to tell us their story instead of us first imposing our interpretation exactly. on it because mm -hmm. you know that they just come in and they throw their stuff down. And so often our brains go to, they're angry. They disrespect us. They disrespect the family rules, you know, all that, which often is totally false. So you mm -hmm. almost, when you say, I notice you give him the chance to lead no matter what he says, it gives you some insight as to where yeah. he's at. Yeah. You know, I was chatting with um, Mark Brackett, Dr. Mark Brackett, um, he's the author of Permission to Feel, which I have here somewhere. He's a director of emotional intelligence at Yale University. Wonderful. I've had a chance to interview him a couple of times, but this was for an article I was doing on discipline for um, the Washington Post on kind of time ins, times out. And one of the things he said that was so powerful is that a child's behavior never gives you enough information for what's going on psychologically. We think it does, but it mm. doesn't. So we can impose all kinds of stories upon it. Um, and he talked about how when he's a kid, you know, he was bullied and to take it out on his parents and he would yell, he was being bullied to school and he'd say, I'm not going to school. And they'd say, of course you're going to school. And he'd, and it just, it would escalate. And as he said, you know, they didn't know why I didn't want to go because I was taking my anger toward them. And it took, you know, that was, so there was a story in their minds. There was probably the kid is hoping the parent will read their mind, but we can't, we're not mind readers. Right. And so here we have this situation where, you know, if we can make the space and it won't happen necessarily instantly, but if we can make the space for them to share what's happening, that's huge. And, you know, for me, one of the tricks as a parent is at least for, for my kids, most of that sharing happens either when they're in the backseat of the car or the <laughs> lights are out at bedtime and they've called me back in, right? I'm sitting on the bed and then suddenly they want to talk about their day. And there's something about, it's like, maybe they can't see my face all the way. You know, sometimes when we're walking the dog, it happens too, but it's not sitting down face to face, eye to eye, right? Like 
please tell me all your feelings. <laughs> That's not how it happens. Sometimes if I want to talk to a kid at school, I'd be like, hey, you know, can you help me like, you know, clean the chalkboards after class? And we start chatting while we're doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think for boys, especially, right, with some of mine that have lots of energy, doing something while you talk can be a little less threatening, right? Like let's, let's go on a walk or, you know, shoot some hoops while, and see what comes out. Janet is over here just <laughs> smiling away. She's like, uh-huh, Jack, yes. Yeah, you are singing my song, Deborah. I love it. I love it. And I, I think to, to reiterate and emphasize, we have to manage ourselves in that anger because it can be scary. As Jen said, you know, that 12 year old's as big as you are yeah. and it's scary. So there's that piece. There's also the kid who isn't expressive, explosive in his anger, but there's a lot going on beneath the Mm -hmm. sound of silence, shall we say. And you can't, you feel like you can't get anything out of him. Or he's the kid I was recently talking to a mom of a 17 year old who has totally stopped school, not going to pass. I got a plan, mom. I got a plan. Don't know what the plan is. He's not telling what the plan is. He says he has a plan. We kind of think he probably doesn't have a plan, but he says he has a plan. Yeah. What do you do with that? I mean, I think at different ages, one thing to remember is that communication isn't just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I have, I, I'm a really big, one of my, so when you think of my, my layers of things I'm passionate about, one is emotional literacy and, and education. Um, and one is talking about temperament, introverts, extroverts. And so, you know, in classrooms, very much often the extroverts are rewarded, their hands go up, whereas, you know, introverts may need more processing time. They don't like being put on the spot. It actually triggers their stress response. Yeah. So if you ask them point blank, can you tell me, they may know, but the pathway to get it from their long-term memory to their working memory with the anxiety of being put on the spot in front of people, they'll clam up. And so being able to provide other avenues. So for example, I have one child who's very much an introvert and we do a lot of talking on Google chat, even when we're near each other, right? So we'll chat a little bit and then I'll ask her a question. The other day she was upset with about something and I had to take her brother somewhere and we ended up, you know, using the Google chat to have a whole long conversation, thinking about what are those moments when, you know, you're providing, the kids won't necessarily talk on demand. And so, this so is, frustrating. I know. So frustrating. So this is where sometimes the quantity of interactions really help versus, you know, saying, so run the errand, meeting them where they're at. Like, what's something they like to do? Maybe you're playing video games with them and a mm-hmm. comment comes out while you're playing that video game together. It's not about the game. It's about you're showing your interest in their interests. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing 
a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free, three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. You know what? I'm going to give just a totally random for instance here. And this, this isn't like, you know, a 17 year old saying I have a plan and I don't know what it is, but this little showing interest in their interest opens the doors to communication. Huge. Janet, you know, I was gone on vacation all last week and I'll be honest. Sounds terrible. I don't really miss my kids when I'm gone because one, they're teenagers, they're teenagers, and young adults. They are totally fine. I'm not worried about them. They're going to be there when I get back. I'm having a great time. They're living their life. But I think about them because I love them because they're my children. And we were in this area around Mount Rainier. I kept seeing these trucks and trailers with dirt bikes on them. Janet, you know that I've got like a dirt bike track in my yard right now. I've got two kids that that race. So we were walking into this one place because Jen wanted an ice cream cone after all that hiking. And there was a truck there with some dirt bikes. And I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to just frame a picture. I just sort of snapped a picture walking <laughs> past it and I sent it to Sam, my youngest. Well, that led to him telling me about what he did that day, which was had a gathering with these dirt bike guys. He sent me the picture because one of them is going away for the army. Like I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't sent out that one little feeler of connection. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think that's really true with raising our boys that, you know, whatever the interest is, I have a son for whom it changes every month and it's intense every month. Marble runs all in then statistics for the Red Sox for a month and then blank and, you know, bird listening, like taking the Merlin app and going outside and what birds can we hear? And every single morning, let's listen to our birds. And it's like, I'm just going to follow it. Right. I'm going to get the book from the library that has the stats. I'm going to get the app out as well. We're going to listen for birds because if nothing else, I'm showing him at an age where you know, he wants to hang around mom, which he may not as much in a few years that yes, I'm interested in his interests. And honestly, like, you know, I've taught middle and high school. The same thing is true with these older ones. If, if you're like, wow, you know, I came and saw you, whatever it is in the play, you know, going to one of the games, just being able to say one good thing that you saw. Again, I think it really goes back to the everyone wants to be noticed, right? That's the reason social yes. media is so addic- so addictive because we want to be seen. It's a dopamine rush when people say, hey, I saw that, I read that, I, you know, congratulations. And, you know, some of our kids will be getting lots of accolades because they're doing the traditional stuff. They're going to be student body president or captain of the basketball team, but you're going to have others who are doing some really cool little coding on some random site or some fan fiction and they need the cheerleaders too. And so one of the things I'd also recommend to this, you know, parent of 17 year old is to remember, like, you shouldn't be their whole tribe. Like, do they have the uncle? Do they have the aunt? Do they have the coach who can actually step in and ask about that plan? Who's not you, right? Because I think often, you know, like I'll have 
teenagers come and talk to me about things. I, you know, I work part-time helping some college guidance at a high school and, you know, these kids will come and tell me stuff they're not telling their parents, right? Because I'm not mom, but I'm an adult figure who's warm. And so they'll be like, I, I did this and they'll get excited. And I'll then often like text their parents. They'll be like, really? Like, just ask about it in a very subtle yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, get your, get your village around because mm-hmm. sometimes they're not going to want to share with you and that's okay. Right. That's like you, but you want them to have a really broad net of people. And so, you know, maybe it's a coach who can say, I heard you have a plan. Tell me about it. Right. Like, right. And thing? that village starts early. You know, it's yeah. really hard to wait till they're 15 or 17 and try to collect their village and, and mm-hmm. have those people around them think about it early when they're young and bringing in those aunties and uncles and, and neighbors, whoever yeah. it might be, coaches, teachers, so important for our boys to have that other place to, to be seen in a different mm-hmm. way. Cause we get in our track as their parents and we, you know, we have them in that one groove and we forget, Oh wait, they're growing and changing. We've got to grow and change with them also. And I think that as a parent, we feel more responsibility for sort of trying to steer or set mm-hmm. the guardrails, right? right? Put the bumpers in place because this is, these are our, my family rules, my family morals. And so I've got these guardrails in place. Not that I want other people to totally disregard the guardrails or the bumpers, but you know, an interaction with an uncle is a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. And it's good that they have those those two, like they can connect on different levels that maybe I can't go there because I mean, for one, I'm a girl, I'm not also, you know, it's not uncle nephew stuff. And when you don't have the response, the full responsibility of raising the decent human, you can let go a little bit better sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, I often think about, you know, one of the reasons I want my kids hanging out with their cousins is those relationships are going to last longer than me. Right. Like ideally. And so it's like, you never know what happens in life. I want a robust community surrounding my children. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and sometimes you need to really draw on that community. And honestly, like there have been many, many times I feel the calls as a teacher from a parent saying there was a big fight this morning or they've been really, I can't get them to talk. You know, can you help? And I'm cool with that conversation. And, you know, a school counselor often, it might be that you can send out those feelers, say like something feels a little bit off. I'm not connecting with them, just, you know, puts it on the radar screen of the teacher or the counselor to maybe just pay a little bit extra attention. And maybe they notice something that they can share or that they can reach out to your child. Because yeah, I know the village is cliche, but it's just, it's just real. Like no one person is enough. Parenting shouldn't be a solo job. No, that kind of reaching out, Janet, I can see how, you know, when you're teaching first grade, if a parent reaches out and says, Hey, I don't really know what's going on, but something is off. I'm sure as a teacher, you even just appreciate that heads up that when that kid walks into your room today, they might not be at their baseline, but you know, there's something going on. So you can be more compassionate, I think sometimes. And if we don't have that, um, our own mental space to prepare for what we might encounter. Yeah. I think that's an important reminder for parents is that teachers want to know what's going yeah. on with your kid. We're not mind readers and we've got, you know, 25, 30 little children out there that we need to, to respond to. So however a parent communicates with the teacher, however that's been set up is like, you know, so-and-so had a really rotten morning this morning, get ready, or this mm-hmm. is happening at home. So that's just a good reminder always to parents who may feel like, oh, we don't want to bother the teacher, but 
boy, those little one-liners are so, so valuable. Because it, it can help us get curious too, right? Mm-hmm. We know when, our, so if a child explodes, right? Like, you know, when my, um, my father-in-law passed away, my son didn't want to mention it to anybody at school, right? But of course I told his teacher and, you know, she was able and he was out of sorts the next day. And I'm so glad she knew to give him that space, to give that a little extra care and love. Mm-hmm. And three days later on his own terms, he went and told her. Aww. But for those three days, she just provided that little bit of safety net. If he mm-hmm. started getting a little bit rough with his friends, right? Yeah. To until he was ready to process those emotions and come up and talk to her, at which point mm-hmm. she gave him this beautiful book about, you know, about, about death. That was just a beautiful picture book. And like, she's amazing. I love her so much. But <laughs> it like, if I had hadn't given that, you know, that might be dramatic, but sometimes even just a terrible morning, it allows us to be able to say, to get creative and less reactive ourselves and be like, oh, okay. You know, they're coming in, not at baseline right now. So I can, I can help, you know, provide that bubble. So speaking of books, hmm, great segue, Deborah. (laughs) tell us about your books. Oh, so I have four books coming out this year. It was supposed to be staggered, but COVID had other plans. That's crazy. Um, Four books coming out this year. It's all the same series. So two came out in March. So I love you all the time and you have feelings all the time. And these are really designed for kind of the two to six-year-old set um, and their parents. And then You Wonder All the Time is coming out next month and You're Growing All the Time is coming out in November. One of the reasons I love my publisher, which is Free Spirit out of Minneapolis, is that in the back, I get to write a letter to caregivers to talk about how to use these books, which is my sweet spot because I've been, you know, a parent columnist for previous kids for years. But um, yeah, I love you all the time. Actually, that was the only book I planned on writing. I wasn't planning on being doing so much of this, but it's something that I started saying to my kids when they were very young and it actually began, my son was born, my daughter a few weeks in had a complete and utter meltdown as happens when new children enter. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm I sure was, you're feeling completely stable oh, and not at I all sleep deprived. Right? I was a yeah. mess. She was a mess. I oh. couldn't calm her down. I like tried all my tricks and I finally scooped her up and I put her on my lap and I said, you know, I really love you when you're mad. And she looked at me like, that's so weird, mom. <laughs> but she calmed down. And so I just was like riffing with it, right? I'm like, I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're scared. I love you when you're mad. I, I love you all the time. And like, she settled down, but I settled down. Like, it was just mm-hmm. one of those things where I like, I knew I was speaking something that I needed to hear and that my kids yes. needed to hear. That became my nighttime mantra to them. And so you know, as my son got older, he, he was great. Cause he would like, he's the one to be like, what if I chopped down your favorite tree? Like, would you still love me then? What if I, and then he would even say like, what if I kicked you? And so I could say, well, I wouldn't like to be kicked, but I would always love you. So we were able to really start to kind of separate out kind of behavior, including behavior out of anger and other emotions and like himself and, and emotions himself. And I just feel like that became my core parenting mantra. If I had to pick like one thing that was powerful to share. What Um, stability that is for a kid to realize kids don't necessarily know how to articulate it, but on some level they realize they are completely dependent on us. Mm -hmm. And so our, our response to them, our reaction to them, their whole health, well-being, and safety is is built up in that. So it is scary for them to think that we might not love them or we might not like them anymore. So when you can have those really explicit conversations, like, yes, I would love you if you kick me. No, that 
I don't like the kicking, but I still love you. What a solid base for your children to grow upon. I mean, and literally I used this a couple of nights ago. My son was very upset about something. He was overtired. He was jet lagged and it just, he exploded and he threw his legs out and he whacked me. I mean, he kicked me out. He didn't mean to, but neither did he not mean to. In other words, it was yeah. kind of like, I was just, yes, you know, and I said, I said, you know, I, I, I love you so much. I see how upset you were. But I can't be sitting near you if you're going to hurt me. And so, you know, he starts to cry and we should talk it through and, uh, and he said, you know, I, I could hurt you even more. I said, do you want to? It's like, I don't know. And, uh, and we talked and, you know, as he began to calm down, I said, you know, you had some really big explosive feelings. That was probably a little scary. I understand there's a lot going on. I just want you to know, you know, I love you. Right. It's like, yeah, mom, you always love me. And it was just this like, okay. Right. Like we worked it through. It took 30 minutes to calm it down and get the emotions and get the baseline down. But like, that's the end point. The end point is we got there and through it all, I'm here and I love you. And like, I just feel, I mean, I look at the research about resilience out of like Harvard Center for the Developing Child, where they say like for kids who experience trauma, like the differentiator for those who go on and, and are okay is like one stable caring adult, right? A mom, a dad, an aunt, an yeah. uncle, like one stable caring adult. And I think that is just that message is am I here? Like I'm big enough for all I, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not human. I'm going to have to give myself a timeout sometimes, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I'm here and I love you. So that's, that's this in book form. Um, I love the illustrations so much. It's a, oh my goodness. The oh. illustrations, everybody are beautiful. My kids are well beyond the picture book stage, but I still love looking at them because they're just so beautiful and engaging. Like they're colorful and they're, they're interesting. There's a lot to look at. Oh, Janet, you got a grandchild. You're going to get to cuddle up with soon. I, books I, with. I know I, I already yeah. read books to him. He loves it at, at four months. So going to be That's checking great. these out. Definitely. Yeah. You know, as I was looking at your information on your website, Parenthood 365, uh, an article caught my eye. I talk about this a lot and I think about it a lot, actually. And that is the one entitled, Awe might be our most undervalued emotion. Yeah. And I think that we, you know, we're so busy and our kids are so busy and we've got Google and taking time to wonder about yeah. things, taking time to be awe-inspired together with your child. You know, Jen, you just had this awesome hike, hiking adventure in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, that's what we seek as adults is going out mm -hmm. and being in awe. And so talk about this as an emotion in our children and how we can evoke more of that. So the book that's coming out next month is called You Wonder All the Time. And I had written this and it got me so intrigued about this research that I ended up, you know, pitching an article to the Washington Post to do a deep dive. And it was the best deep dive. Uh, um, I got to talk to Dr. Dr. Keltner, who's at um, Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, who's been studying awe and he and his team for over 15 years. And awe is an emotion. And basically it's what we feel when we experience something that evokes wonder or mystery, or is outside of our, our basically our, our typical scope of understanding. And so you see that sunset and it's just, 
it just evokes that awe, that wonder. You you see, as he talked about there, you know, about seven different kind of categories that evoke awe. There are things that can be out in nature, obviously. Music, making music with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, something called collective effervescence, which is basically being part of a group, but doing something that's, you know, something good that's larger Feel than good. yourself. So mm-hmm. that can be like, that feeling of being on a sports team or being in a choir, things that we really missed during COVID, I think, yes. you know, like being with people, noticing patterns in nature. Um, and then one, he said, which is our most common source of awe is actually noticing the goodness in other people. And that mm-hmm. when we took, take time mm-hmm. to kind of notice and see that, and I, I, and goodness knows we need more of that now just to notice it, to name it. So this was my favorite of the studies. Yeah. He had people looking at, um, either a bank of redwood trees or a concrete wall in the same area. And then somebody walked by and dropped some, um, their pens or pencils. And those who'd been looking at the trees were, were much more likely to help a stranger pick their things up. And oh. there was something about these kind of awe that just gets us out of ourselves, the sense of mystery. So, I mean, one of the things that, you know, after doing all this research, cause I, I live in New England and winters can be brutal here. You know, I began every day to be like, I'm going on my awe walk, right? I'm going to take the dog out, grab a kid to go with me. Like, what's something beautiful? So this is where we started listening for birds. And my son got really into listening to bird calls. Um, what are the winter birds that are here? And what are the ice patterns? Um, and then I began to be more conscious about sharing with my kids good things that had happened that day. Like if somebody had been kind to me, ah. just naming it. I pick them up from school. Oh my gosh, do you know what my coworker did? That was so kind. Or, you know, um, I wasn't feeling well. And like your aunt Rachel sent me like the cutest little, you know, uh, email card or whatever it is. I just began to share the goodness I was seeing because, you know, I I, I fill them up on this because well, I that especially very, sounds like yeah. such an important counterpoint when we are all, and our kids are not spared this, we are all no. inundated with the bad news right. and it's there and we need to know what's going on. I mean, I don't want to, you know, stick my head in the sand and be like, nope, not affecting me. I won't look, but I can't dwell in it. That's not healthy for any of us. So we can also skew kids perception that like, look yes. at humanity, everyone's doing terrible things. And the mass of humanity on their day-to-day basis are helping the stranger and are picking things up and are, you know, like, it's just the, the, the most of us are really just trying to be, to live quiet, decent lives, but that's not what gets on the news. Unfortunately, it's not flashy. Um, And there's scary things on the news. And so counterbalancing that with just everyday goodness, you know, it's inspiring. It invokes awe. And, yes, and I awe is, is emotionally protective. So they discover that, you know, that kids um, and adults and, and veterans who consciously are kind of put in situations where they experience more awe, it had mental health benefits for them. Um, mm-hmm. So it's- When we're thinking about awe and kids, one of the things that was challenging for me as a parent at first, and I think for so many, we have these very busy lives and we have an agenda. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. I got I to get to the grocery store. I got to drop you off at preschool. I got, right. And meanwhile, my kid wants to sit there and watch the ants crawling in and out of the anthill. Because they're and, better at it than we are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah. so um, it's this dance. You know, yes, sometimes I have to be to a place by a certain time and that's non-negotiable. But in some ways, having kids taught me and helped show me how to appreciate little things that as adults, we so often just 
don't notice it all and walk past. So I encourage parents whenever possible to make space for those to honor and give your kids time to explore their moments of awe. And if you let yourself stand there or sit there and enjoy it for a while, you're probably going to feel it too. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And resist the urge to reach for Google when your kids ask you a question about, you know, why is the sky blue or whatever it might be? Wonder with them, just wonder about it and talk about it before you pick up Google and, you know, find all the facts and figures about it. Just let, let there be that space of wondering with your Mm. child, wondering for yourself. You don't always have to have the answer. And actually, one of my favorite, the easiest one is just to turn it back on them the first time. So they're like, say, mom, why? Like, I'm sure. What do you think? And then mm-hmm. often they will, I will see this with my son all the time. He has these theories about physics and how the world works, most of which are completely off base, but some of which have elements of like, oh, that he's just gotten from observing, right? And so it's just this opportunity to scaffold on what he mm-hmm. already is noticing. If I turn it back and say, well, what's your best theory, right? Mm-hmm. And I use that phrase. So we talk about theories, like, all right, give me your best yeah. theory. Why do you think this is happening? And like, that's enough permission for him to go off because he's he loves just exploring things. And I resist the urge to say, nope, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. I'm like, okay, you know, he can get that out and then we can look it up together later and see, oh, wow, you were really right on, on this. And now it looks like this too. But that is, that's super fun, you know, yes. whether it's animal habitats or, you know, questions about space. Um, it's, it's just really fun to let them kind of follow their imagination and listen, you'll learn a lot. One time I uh, actually went back inside, made sandwiches, and then went and sat with my oldest son out on the sidewalk because there was a cicada, right? And if you're familiar with cicadas, you know, they start in the ground and then they come out and they're these uh, weird crunchy bug looking things <laughs> and they crawl on the tree and then that splits open and it becomes this winged insect right so we sat there and we watched the whole process unfold which was um fascinating and I remember that to this day I'm not sure if he does I should double check with him on that one but in that day I had that time I'm not every day I can't sit there and watch a whole cicada emergence but I'm glad that we did that day yeah and that's one of those moments where it's like uh, you know, we went outside the other day. I took the dog out at night and the dog found a, a toad that was hopping through the yard and going wild. And the kids were already mostly in bed, but not asleep. So I yelled up toward their windows because they were open. I was like, I love they it. love running out in their pajamas to like, let the dog taste the toad. And, you know, it was five minutes. They got to bed a little later, but you know, he's, my son's been talking about that for the last week, right? Like should we yes. go another toad hunt uh, with the dog? So Nice. Sometimes you you grab a moment like that because those are the things that they're going to remember. So, you know, our memory is designed not for routine, like things that are really routine. Our brain. The routine is what we remember. Yeah, we we remember stuff. We remember stuff that's emotional. It's out of routine. That's funny. It's like I remember that time my dad did blank, right? Because it wasn't the normal thing. And awe, because you those are things that are out of the normal. So they're memory builders as families. So you know, it's it's a gorgeous sunset say, pause it. You can come back to it, but we're all going outside for five minutes yeah. <laughs> and then we can come back in. Oh my gosh. I love this. And, you know, just as we're talking about awe and sunsets and toads and all these things, I feel myself in my self in my body changing. I feel yeah. lighter. I feel a little like 
vibrationally different. So it is so crucial. And, and for our listeners, you know, I just encourage you to pause this podcast right now and just look around you. And there is something that is beautiful, that is quirky, that is, you know, out of the ordinary and express finding that sharing it with your children, they'll start sharing it with you. And then you have this amazing uh, trove of memories and treasures that you can bring, bring back. Jen, I cannot wait to hear you as you're talking to your son about this cicada story, you know, just the look on your face as you were remembering that whether he remembers it or not, right. Right. Just that I love connection with him. Janet, you know, our listeners know, like, I love things that are like multi-purpose. It hits on all these levels, right? So you go for an awe walk. Mm-hmm. You're getting physical exercise. You're taking the dog out. The dog has to go out anyway. You're bringing a kid with you. The kid's outside. You're surrounded in nature. We, we've done whole podcast about the benefits of nature. Now we're talking about awe and what role that plays in, you know, resilience and stress relief. It's just win, 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 win one after the other. And we're talking about something that's like 10 minutes. You can do it in easily. You do five Mm -hmm. if you don't have that long. So I think we, as parents spend so much time stressing out over all the things we must do. And, you know, like you started out Janet by talking about, you know, academic learning, social learning, emotional learning. Yes, there's all of this, but it can be as simple as going for a walk with our children outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Deborah, this has been delicious. I just oh, have been so much fun loved to chat this with you. conversation. Tell our listeners, and we'll put all this in the show notes, but also tell our listeners where they can find you and drink in more of this goodness that you're sharing with the world. If you go to parenthood365.com, 365 as in it's every day of the year, it doesn't stop. That's both exciting and daunting. Uh, Parenthood365.com, you'll find links to all my social channels, to um, articles, to my books. So if you go there, you'll find everything else. Nice. And if you have a two to six-year-old, oh my goodness, these books are beautiful and heartwarming. And I'm going to get the I love you one for my grandson. There you go. It's a great <laughs> phrase. And it's a true one. That's the best yeah. part, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Just reminds us to say it. Deborah, thank you so thank much you. for joining us. Oh, listeners, I think this conversation with Deborah was such a reminder of how simple parenting can be. We get so caught up in all of the complexities, and yet it's as simple as calling up to your child's window to come out in their pajamas and watch the dog chase a frog. So I hope you find some of that awe and simplicity in your parenting. Remember that we have Amy McReady of Positive Parenting Solutions. Her program, Sir Thrival, is helping you set a new way of being for school, for homework, for giving your kids responsibilities. Go to boysalive.com school, check it out. You don't have to do this school year like last school year, do something new. And again, thank you for being our listeners. 
we love you and i am your co-host janet allison of boysalive.com along with jennifer lw fink of buildingboys.net and if you liked this podcast please share it with a friend that would be awesome thank you This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.